Good morning, church. My name is Danny Beach, and I serve as the equipping pastor here. And isn't it good to worship together this morning? This has been wonderful to be with you. And you know, I, Lauren and I have been at East Cooper for several years, and we, we love worshiping with you all. And we love this church and walking up and down the hallways and being in classes and just going about life. And this church has meant so much to us, and we thank you for loving us so well, for loving our family so well. A couple weeks ago, Buster announced that uh, we are excited that uh, we're going to have a fourth child in our home. And it's another girl. It's our fourth girl. And, uh, and so as we have enjoyed sharing that with people, I'm getting the same types of responses, mostly from guys. Uh, the first is, wow, that's a lot of weddings. And I'm not sure how to respond to that other than true statement. Uh, I'm thinking about maybe passing out my Venmo account and just like, if you're going to make that, you know, acknowledgement, why don't you throw some back at me? Um, I also get, are you going to go for a boy? And I'm like, uh, we're still pregnant with a girl. Like, come on now. And, and also I want to say, I just don't think that's really what this is about, right? Um, people have asked, are you ready? It doesn't really matter, right? Because baby's coming, whether we're ready or we are not. You know, when you bring a new baby home, especially for first-time parents, it's a, it's, a, it's a full immersion experience, all right? The day before, you didn't have a baby, and then suddenly, there's this new reality that there is a, a, a human, a new human in your house, and they can't do anything for themselves, and, and suddenly, everything changes. It's like you've just cannonballed into the pool of this new reality of parenthood. It changes your, your sleep patterns, it, sl- it changes your habits, it changes your, your relationship uh, with, your, with your spouse, like you have to operate differently. All of the, your finances change, your heart, your heart changes. It's this full immersion experience when you bring home a baby for the first time. You know, there's actually a model of education out there called full immersion learning. Maybe you've heard of that. And most commonly people think of learning a new language, all right? So to be fully immersed in a culture so that you can more quickly learn this language, a lot of people say it's a, it's a good method of learning. So if you're learning Spanish, you go to a Spanish-speaking culture and you take classes in a different language and public transportation and you go to the grocery store, you do all these different things so that you can more fully immerse in this experience and learn more quickly. Now, there are some things that are probably not good full immersion learning experiences, like maybe swimming, for example, kind of pun intended there. But like nobody gets tossed into the pool and say, this is the best way for you to learn, right? Like it just doesn't happen that way. And when it comes to parenting, is parenting best learned from full, this full immersion idea? I don't really know. But what we do know for sure is that when you bring that child home, there's a reality there. And you need to be all in. Like that's what needs to happen. You know, there needs to be a shift, there needs to be a change to say, I am all in, me and, and my spouse. And like, we're gonna, we're gonna do this and we're gonna sacrifice and we're gonna change the way that we do things. We're gonna, we're gonna think differently, we're gonna operate differently, we're gonna communicate differently because of this new reality that has been presented to us. We're looking in the book of Deuteronomy this morning, chapter six, and what we're gonna see is that God is going to present a reality, and then he's gonna call for a response that is a full immersion type of response, a comprehensive 
response as a result of this new reality that he presents. By way of historical background, as we look in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Old Testament. It's the fifth book of the law. And as you trace the path of God interacting with his people, especially throughout the course of the Old Testament, you find yourself at this moment where the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness is over. All right, the children of Israel have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years as a punishment for their faithlessness, for their sin, for their rebellion. God has said, I am going to punish you because you haven't done what I have called you to do. And not only that, have you shaken your fist in my face? So you're gonna wander for 40 years before I allow you to enter into the promised land. And over the course of those 40 years, your generation is gonna die. Only the younger will survive. Everybody in this generation over 20 years old will die in the wilderness. And in Deuteronomy chapter six, we find ourselves at the end of those 40 years, a new generation has arisen and they are on the border of the promised land, ready to receive the promise that God has promised to their forefathers. And God is explaining to his children, this is what it looks like for you to receive the promise and for there to be a right and fruitful relationship between God and man. All right, so that's where we're at in Deuteronomy six, on the border, God speaking to his people as they get ready to go into the promised land. We're gonna see three things in this text. We're gonna see first a declaration from God, followed by an exhortation on how you respond to that declaration, and then a call to replication. So let's read Deuteronomy 6. It's in your bulletin. I'd love for you to follow along, whether it's in your bulletin or in your Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, I'll read through 9. It says this, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you, all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. May it go well with you, that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land full, flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The first thing that we're gonna look at this morning in Deuteronomy chapter six, we find in verse four, all right? Verses one through three is kind of the lead up to this declaration. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. This is a declaration of exclusivity where God is telling his people that he is exclusively their God, right? That there is an exclusion of all other gods, that he is exclusively to be theirs. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your God, the Lord is one. It's interesting when you look over the book of Deuteronomy and you look up the phrase, the Lord, your God, that is spoken 
240 times throughout the book of Deuteronomy. There is an emphasis of the Lord your God, that he is an exclusive God. Now, what's, what, we, what, what I wanna point out this morning in this exclusivity of God is that God is making an argument particularly here that he is exclusively the God of Israel. And what he's not saying is that he is the one and only true God, though that is a true statement. That is a right and accurate statement. But we need to make the distinction here because also throughout the book of Deuteronomy, God is acknowledging that there are other gods out there that you are not to worship. All right, he is exclusively theirs, but there are other gods on the table. It's almost like there are options. They're bad options. They're the wrong way to go. They will not help everybody. It will go poorly for anybody involved. But technically, you could pick that option. We see in chapter 8, verse 19, if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, you shall surely perish. Chapter 11, verse 16, it says, take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. In chapter five, we see a retelling of the, of the 10 commandments. And what's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before you. So what we see in Deuteronomy six here is that God is declaring, I am exclusively your God. Do not worship another. You are not to bow your heart to another God. I am exclusively your God. So what makes an other God, an other God? What makes a rock a God? What makes a, a tree a God? What, what, what determines the difference between just the sun and the sun as a God? Like, like how, how do we know kind of when something moves from non-false God to just thing to other God? And, and through the telling of scripture, what we see quite simply is it's one thing. One thing creates an other God, and it's the human heart. A human heart can make anything into an other God. Anytime you look at something or some concept or some principle or some goal or some relationship, and you attribute to it, you attribute to that thing, only things that can be attributed to God, or you look to it for things that only God can give you, then that becomes a God to you. If you look to your aspirations or your goals or to your family to provide for you things that God has exclusively said are from me, then your heart has turned and you've made it into a God. It's all through the book of Deuteronomy. It's interesting in chapter four, all of chapter four, but especially verses 15 through 20, it says, Watch yourself carefully. All right, this is, these are the people of God. Watch yourself carefully. And my paraphrase is, God says, I made myself known to you in the wilderness on Mount Sinai. When the mountain shook and the thunder crashed and you were, you were so afraid, I made myself known to you on Mount Sinai. But you did not see a form, is what scripture says. Be careful, lest you make a form for yourself, a human form, or beast of the earth, or fish of the sea, or the sun. Be careful that you are prone to make an idol. You haven't seen God, and there's something in the human heart 
that longs to find something tangible that they can put their eyes on, that they can grasp to worship. So today in 2021, we don't have stone idols. You know, one time I was leading a, a student event when I was a youth pastor here. And we rented all of these inflatable activities. And this company came and dropped off all of the inflatable activities and they started getting blown up. And we started realizing that this one big jump castle on the four corners, they were idols. Like, like, like it looked like the stone Easter Island God and it looked like the little Buddha on the other corner. And all the leaders were like, hey, Danny, why are you bringing the false gods to the youth group event? I thought this was a church activity. I'm like, come on, man, this isn't what it is, all right? It's a turned heart that can make a, a false god into a false god. And in 2021, there might not be a Buddha in the corner or a stone on the doorway of your house that you worship, but we absolutely can worship our goals. We absolutely can worship our careers. When we look to them to find our meaning, when we look to them to find our peace, when we look to them to find our ultimate joy, and then when the job doesn't start going well, we lose it, right? We can make an idol out of our families. How good, what's interesting in this Deuteronomy chapter four text is God outlines all of these things that you could make into an idol, a human form and the beast of the air or the beast of the field and the birds of the air. It goes through all these things. And then it says, the things that I have allotted to you, the things that I have given to you to enjoy, the things that out of my goodness benefit you. And how true is that for us? That our hearts can turn and make idols out of the good things that God has given to us. So God is making a declaration here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, exclusively and at the exclusion of all other gods. Now God in this text does not just leave this declaration out there and then just dismiss the assembly. All right, he follows it up directly with an exhortation on what you're supposed to do about this reality that God is exclusively their God. Look in verse five with me, it says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. When we look at the idea of heart and soul and might, we could just go through each of these and explain what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart? And what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your soul? And, and, and so on and so on. But the idea that is being conveyed here is that you are to love the Lord your God comprehensively in a fully immersive sort of way. Like you are cannonballing into this declared reality that God is the exclusive God. All of you should fall under the lens of this reality that there's one exclusive God for you. And, and how you understand and know your finances is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your finances. And to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your family. And to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your career. And to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your politics. Comprehensively to understand that God is exclusive and he is calling us to bow and turn our hearts to him exclusively in a fully immersive sort of way. Now it is no coincidence that Jesus 
in the New Testament quotes this verse when he's cornered by the, the lawyers and the scribes and the Pharisees and they try to trick Jesus and say, of all the commandments that we see in the Mosaic law, which is the greatest? And they wanted to pin him to the wall. And Jesus, and Jesus himself responds by saying, the greatest commandment is to love God completely, totally, wholesale, full immersion. And the irony is that those that were questioning him were keeping the law. They were doing the law. They were stewards and they were students of the law. And they were looking to the law for their salvation. And they were looking to the law for their identity. They were looking to the law for their justification of their sin between God and man. They were making an idol out of the law itself and depending on it for something that it could not provide them. And Jesus responded by saying, that is not the way. I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Your heart must be turned to me. It's a tall order to read, love the Lord your God with all of you, every, every square inch of you. And I think it's appropriate to kind of say, can I do that? I mean, is that, is that a doable task? Is that possible as a believer to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and might? And the answer is no. Because the fundamental human flaw is our heart. That's why we have a tendency to keep going to idols. And you look at the scope and the story of all of scripture that, that, that we continue to stumble and fall. And God knows that. Our exclusive God knows that. The God who in chapter one, Deuteronomy says, I will carry you like a father carries his child. He knows, he knows what we need. He knows our shortcomings. And so therefore, this exclusive God made a way of salvation. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be our savior. And Jesus Christ took his messianic responsibility and role and fully immersed himself in the task of saving mankind. And he excluded himself from heaven and he came to this earth and lived a perfect, sinless life. And he went to the cross intentionally, on purpose, deliberately, of his own accord, sacrificially, and died a perfect death for the sins of mankind. And he was dead and buried for three days, and he was raised again to life by his own God power, declaring to all that death has no power, and that I am God. And I'm proving it by how I'm defeating sin and death. And the only way that our hearts can totally be turned is when we trust in that Jesus. When we turn our heart to that Jesus, are we able to be brought in to Jesus's immersion, that we are brought into Jesus's life and we are brought into Jesus's death. So we see in the beautiful description of baptism as we celebrated a couple weeks ago, that when you accept Jesus as your savior and trust in him to save you, that we are buried with him in his death and we are raised to new life in his life. It's not yours, but you are raised to new life 
to live in a way that you couldn't live before, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and might in a way that you never could have by yourself. And that God will write a new covenant on your heart. Circumcise your heart is what scripture tells us. And that is how one is eternally saved. It's a beautiful thing that Jesus, that God declares, I am exclusively your God. And then he exhorts you to turn yourself over to him, which we can't do except for the finished work of Jesus Christ. And by doing so, we are brought into the very family of God. And so I would ask everybody here in the sanctuary and at home that this is worth considering is have you turned your heart to Jesus? Yes or no is the response. And if, and if not, it is a beautiful opportunity for you to recognize that you are not your own God and that you can never save yourself. Jesus died for us. So we have a declaration, the exclusive God. We have an exhortation to love the Lord your God with all of your heart your soul and your might. And then in verses six through nine, we have a call to replication. So read six through nine with me again, if you would. It says this, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And again, we have language here that speaks to the comprehensive response that God is giving his people, all right? As you go, as you rise, as you lay down, as you sit, as you go along the way, it's pointing us to say, in all that you do, do what? Verse seven, Teach these things diligently to your children. That we are called to take this truth. We are called to take these commands, these promises, these rewards of the gospel, and carry them through to the next generation. That is our calling. We are called to carry it on. It's not supposed to stop with us. There is a call to replication here. Now I want to speak to different groups that we have within our church here. Now, Deuteronomy chapter six, especially verse seven, is often used in a parenting context to, to diligently teach your children as you go along the way and as you sit and as you rise. And it's a very helpful verse for parenting. And I, I wanna draw our attention, parents, all right, don't, don't disengage if you're not a parent, because we're gonna get to everybody here. A scripture, this scripture is speaking to the whole assembly. But parents, if you look at verse six, and I'm a parent, it says, and these words that I command you today, listen, shall be on your heart. And then it says, you shall teach them diligently. To teach them diligently means to have a persistent effort a persistent effort. But first, it says these commands shall be on your heart. Parents, we must take the truths of the gospel to the next generation out of an overflow 
of a heart that's turned to Jesus. If we are not doing so out of an overflow, then we find ourselves just passing on rules and laws and traditions, which is hypocrisy and is not what we're called to do. And your kids will smell it out and they'll run. Our heart must be turned and then we can diligently teach our children. You know, every, uh, likely every one of us in this room has flown on an airplane before. And when you get on an airplane, you listen to the, emer- or the uh, emergency procedure, right? And they said, this is how you use a seatbelt in case you've never fastened a seatbelt before. And they remind you that this is a no smoking flight because it's been that way for the last 75 years. Uh, but then they have the little oxygen mask, you know what I'm talking about? And what's the first thing that they tell you to do with the oxygen mask? Put it on yourself first, right? And as parents, our tendency is, no, 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 I wanna help my kid. I wanna set my kid up for success. I'm gonna do these things for my child. I wanna sacrifice for my kid. I'm gonna make sure that they're first. I wanna do all of these things. But the principle there is that you cannot help your kid if you're incapacitated. You cannot help your child if you're dead. And that's the principle that we see here in scripture is that you need to have a turned heart first. And that is the best case scenario for your children following in the steps of Jesus. It's a calling parents. It's tough when it says that we are to be diligent to have a persistent effort in our parenting, to bring gospel truth in the everydayness of our lives as parents. I've got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old and a four-year-old. And to ask myself the question, am I being diligent in teaching my kids in the ways of Jesus is a hard question. And I think it's the, it's the question that the, test, that the text is asking right now, is are you being diligent to the task? If, if you look at this and, and you find yourself saying, I'm not sure, or maybe you're saying, I, no, I'm not, or maybe you're saying, yes, I am, and I've been working hard at this, and we praise the Lord for that. But if you find yourself saying, no, I haven't been diligent, or I, or, 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 I don't know how I'm doing, I have good news for you. <laughs> I have really good news for you, is that you can do it. If you are a parent, then God has specifically ordained and enabled you to do this in the lives of your kids. If you are a believer, you are not left alone. His grace is sufficient for you. Even if you haven't been doing it up to this point, you are enabled and equipped in a supernatural way to do these things that God has called you to do. He doesn't leave you alone in the dark. He doesn't leave you alone to just meander through the maze and just hope that you finally get it right one day. That's not how it works. God has called you to do his work in your children. And since he has called you to do his work in your children, he will see it through. But we must be diligent. We must, we must take the opportunities that God has given to us. And maybe you might ask, Danny, I don't even know where to start. Because I, life is busy and work is hard and marriage isn't easy. Maybe you're a single parent. I mean, all these different myriad of, of situations and scenarios. 
I think the text gives us a simple starting point. And that is this, to start by just taking the moments that are already in your day, parents. Because it says, as you lie down, bedtime, just pray. If if you're not doing anything, just pray with your kids. As you sit at mealtime, think of a, read a single Bible verse or think of, 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 a, of a pressing question that might lead to some sort of conversation. And it could be three or four minutes. It, that could be all it is. As you go, it says, as you go, car time. You're always, you have these moments. It's not asking you to create some new paradigm. Take the moments that are pre-existing in just the regular everyday life of a family and seek to capture some of them for the sake of moving the gospel forward. We are called to these moments. We are called to these moments, parents. Van mentioned the New City Catechism. It is a tremendous resource for all believers, but especially for parents, because it asks 52 questions that are core understandings of the faith. And it goes through one question a week, and there's an adult answer that's a little bit more extended, and then there's a shorter children's answer. This is all free on an app. New City Catechism. And then it gives commentary to read for further understanding. It gives scriptures to see where it was written. And there's even a song there for every answer for, the, for, for your children to learn. So mid-COVID, all right, we were stuck at home. And I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into this. I'm actually going to try to teach my, at that time, seven, four, and three-year-old the New City Catechism. We did one a week. The goal was for them to memorize just one a week, we didn't have a comprehensive exam, and they did it. My three-year-old, she did it, just one a week. I dangled a carrot, I said, hey, if we can get through all 52 weeks. Now, we fell off the wagon a couple times, we had to pick it back up, we weren't perfect. There were some times when we were sitting at the dinner table and they weren't paying attention and they were squirrely, and I was like, what is our only hope in life and death? And I'm like, okay, let's back up a little bit. (laughs) I don't need to be getting angry about this. We'll we'll pick this back up tomorrow. But I dangled a carrot. I said, if we can can learn all 52, we're going to go to a hotel with a pool. (laughs) All right, and they got all giddy and excited. And so last week, North Charleston Embassy Suites Airport Hotel. We went, baby. We went. We ordered out pizza. We swam in the pool. We got the nice breakfast. We were home by noon. And we had a great time. We had a great time. And, and then this week, we started back with question number one. And this year, we're going to just go a little deeper dive, a little bit more conversation, because they have a base of understanding. And, th- and, 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 it, and it gladdens my heart to think of what we can accomplish in just five years. For them to know 52 factual truths of who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, what is salvation, what is sin. Question number four. How and why did God create us? God created us male and female in his own image to glorify him. That's come up in conversation. How and why did God create us? God created us male and female in his own image to glorify him. That's come up in conversation. You know, there have been times when we've been driving in the car and or walking to the park and I realize like, oh, oh, this is a moment. Like this is, this is, I'm supposed to have a spiritual conversation here. I'm gonna grab every opportunity. 
yet I don't know what to say. <laughs> like, you're not going to be perfect at this. But where my mind then goes to is like, hey, what question are we on in the New City Catechism? And it just provides an opportunity, a, a springboard to just have another two-minute conversation, another four-minute conversation with three, four, five, six, seven, eight-year-olds. Parents, we can do this. We can do this. How many of you, and I'm going to ask, actually ask you to raise your hands, who, if you've been a parent or you are a parent, have received amazing parent advice from somebody else? All right, raise your hand. You've re received amazing parent advice, okay? And how many of you would you say that you've received amazing parent advice too late? All right? Like, man, I wish, have no I, wish I would have known that when my kids were that age. Well, here's the glory, church is that we are a family. We are not just individuals in a room here. East Cooper Baptist Church is a family of believers. And we are called to be intricately involved in each other's lives. You know why? Because I have a third grader and I don't know what fourth grade holds. I don't know what fifth grade holds. It's, it's darkness to me. I'm, I'm, I'm blind to it. I've never walked that path before, but some of you have. And I need you to speak truth into my life. I need to hear from you what you did, what was successful, how you relied on the Lord in particular ways. What are the pitfalls that are coming? I need you. We need to be speaking to each other. You were never meant to live your Christian life alone and you were never meant to raise your kids in a Christ-like way alone. That's never been the design. We were designed to be in community, helping, leading, loving, teaching, showing, instructing each other because we are a family of God here. And I'm not talking about the universal family of God. I'm talking about us under this roof right now at 361 Egypt Road. We are a family and we need to be speaking into each other's lives. So that's a word to parents, you're not alone. Now what's interesting also about this text is this, this was not delivered by Moses to the children of Israel as a word from God on the border of the promised land as a parenting talk. It wasn't. This was a talk, this was, this was a, a, a sermon given from God to his chosen people and it was given to the entire assembly. What is said here was supposed to relate to everybody that was part of the children of Israel. Married, unmarried. Divorce, Deuteronomy speaks of divorce. Those in deep strife, Deuteronomy speaks to those in deep strife. Children, teenagers, grandparents, those not yet married. Everybody was supposed to hear the word that you are to take this to the next generation. Amongst the body of believers, that you are to be involved in moving this beautiful truth of the gospel to those that are coming behind you. This is not just some token for parents. This is on you too. My third grade daughter has professed Christ and she needs to understand that she needs to speak gospel truth to those who are younger than her. And she can do that. She's not gonna teach a class. We're not gonna send her on a missions trip. But she, if she's old enough to understand the gospel, she's old enough to speak truth to her younger siblings. And she has. So every one of us, no matter where you're at in this room, 
You are called to take this to the next generation. And I think specifically you're called to take it to the next generation of kids at East Cooper Baptist Church. If this is your church family, you are called to the children of East Cooper. We need you. Grandparents, your, kid, your grandkids need you to be diligent in teaching them the ways of the gospel, how you pray for them, how you take advantage of the moments that you have with them, how you make a plan to be influential spiritually in their lives. That's a calling for you as grandparents. And we're working hard as a church at East Cooper to provide more and better resources to parents and to grandparents. We're developing a, the milestone system that, is, that goes from birth through 12th grade with seven different milestones that you can see where your kids are at. And we can get resources, understand where they're at developmentally and psychologically and, and give you resources of what that might look like for you to be the primary disciplers of your kids. And we're looking to provide more and more of that for, for parents and for soon-to-be parents or one-day parents and for grandparents. But let me also encourage you this way, grandparents. We are a family. We are a family. And I would wager that there are hundreds of parents here at our church who do not have believing parents meaning that there are parents here who have kids and their kids' grandparents are not Christians. And they might be amazing grandparents and loving, loving and noble, noble parent, grandparents, but they're not speaking gospel truth to their grandkids. And that there are parents here who have unbelieving parents and they're not getting Christian wisdom and counsel and truth about the difficulties of parenting from the generation before, and that's your job. You can be spiritual grandparents for this family, and you are desperately needed. You are desperately needed. We need your wisdom, we need your truth, we need your experience. We need to learn the hard lessons from you that you have learned. We are a family. And you know, we haven't, this is hard to program. It's not like we can start, just start some program and say, hey, let's connect, you know, the older generation with the younger generation. This is something that we all just gotta, you gotta lift up your head and, and open your eyes and see what's going on out there. Women at the women's ministry, men at man to man, over here in the hallways, as parents are trying to round up their kids and check them in, or, or folks are over here getting coffee, to be bold and to step up and say, let's get some coffee on either side. One of, the, one of the favorite things that Lauren and I love to do is to try to find somebody that we admire or that we look up to, that we've been impressed with, that has walked before us and get together with them, see if they'll pay for our meal. And then we ask them, what have you done that you look back on and say, that was awesome? And everybody has had a nugget of gold to that question. Everybody. Things that we've applied. We need to be putting ourselves out there, church. This is not a group of individuals. We are a family. And we need each other in this way. As we see Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
we see three beautiful ideas. A declaration from God that he is exclusive. He is exclusively our God, excluding all other God options on the table because our hearts want to make them. And he is calling us, there's an exhortation that he is calling us to himself through the finished work of Jesus Christ to love the Lord our God comprehensively with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. And that as we do that, and when we do that, we can carry it on in replication to the next generation. An emphatic calling that is on every believer's life. Church, may we be faithful to this call. May we be faithful to this command for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of God and his triune glory, and for the sake of the next generation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. I thank you for the local body of believers that you have so ordained. Father, that the local church is the means by which you have established for your people to be discipled and for your gospel message to move forward. May we not take this lightly, but Father, in joyful awe, may we be amazed at these truths that you are the one God, exclusively, the only God who makes promises and therefore the only one who keeps them. And that you have so enabled us to accomplish the task that you have presented. Father, may we do so with joy through the finished work of Christ for our very salvation, for the sake of the next generation. In Jesus' name, amen.